Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, just for these dear ladies you've brought here this morning. I pray that you would just give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Lord, help us to have receptive hearts to what your word has for us. Lord, I thank you for your written word. I thank you that it is strong and sure and our refuge in the midst of many storms. Lord, I thank you that we can be so very sure of your word, that you have preserved it throughout the ages, that no matter what has come up against it, it has stayed firm. So Lord, as we look at different things today and even sometimes confusing things, thinking of your guidance of us, I pray that you would Just help us to have clarity when it comes to your word, that we would cling to you and cling to your word most of all, that we would be just so in love with you and and desiring to have a deep knowledge of your character, your will, your word for the purpose of our cheerful obedience. I pray, Lord, that you would just... Guide us even this morning. Would your Holy Spirit guide us into all truth as we talk through these things? It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. All right, ladies. So the passage that we are going to look at today, I'm sure you all are very, very familiar with. I don't think it's going to be a passage that you're going to say, oh, I've never read this before in the Word. Um, But just because we're familiar doesn't mean that's not precious or not very, very um, useful in thinking about God's guidance and how does he guide us? How should we think about guidance? How should we move forward? Um, and also doctrine. So definitely I was as I was reading through our couple of chapters since fall break, Um, the subjects of doctrine and guidance are definitely two huge subjects where trying to think through, okay, what passage am I going to choose? These are beautiful, wonderful truths of scripture, and yet there's so much. And I, I just, as I was thinking through everything, these verses lately have just been popping up in my life over and over and over again. So I really wanted to take a a deeper dive into them. Um, I was using them in counseling, and then, you know, Chris was preaching a couple times, and it would just be like, oh, that hooks into that, and that hooks into that. And I just love it when pieces of Scripture, when it's, you know, you're, you're, you know, looking through the lens of scripture through scripture and the excitement of making those little, I call them ping moments, like ping, 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 you know, like you're making connections and that's so exciting because it's the Holy Spirit using the word in our lives in a very real way. So hopefully this morning we'll have a couple ping moments where, um, just the word will be quickened and alive because oftentimes, is it not true, the world around us, you say the word doctrine and they go, why? It's so dry. Why would we want to talk about doctrine? Let's do more fun stuff. Let's just love Jesus. But it's like, okay, but if you don't have a right doctrine, what Jesus are you loving? So it's, no, doctrine's beautiful, it's deep, it's rich, it's, dare I say, fun to look at, fun not in a frivolous sense, but fun in the excitement and the enjoyment of look at the beauty of our God and how that relates to me. And God is mindful of nobody me. Wow. So as we move forward, that's kind of what I would love to ignite in you is, okay, maybe I don't know everything about doctrine. And ladies, I definitely do not know everything about doctrine. I don't. I I often feel my inadequacy and my itty-bitty-nish of when you start looking at things and reading really smart people and going, I'm not even smart enough to absorb what he just said. So, but, so you read it three times and then each, each pass through, you're like, okay, I think I got it better now. 
Um, but that doesn't mean we don't roll up the sleeves. We don't try hard. We don't keep trying to learn. So with all that said, let's go ahead and turn in God's precious word to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Most of you probably could quote it off the top of your head with me, hopefully. If not, homework for this week. Memorize this passage. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So at the very, very first here, ladies, we see number one on your outlines, the command to trust. The command to trust. Warren Wearsby, on that word trust there, says the word is translated trust in verse 5. It means to lie helpless face down. It pictures a servant waiting for a master's command and readiness to obey. Or a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general. So again, that just brings a really concrete picture to a very abstract principle. I don't think any one of you in here would be like, oh, I don't want to trust the Lord. I have full confidence every single one of you would adamantly and emphatically say, yes, I want to trust the Lord. But what does that mean? What does trust mean? And I love that visual of to lie helpless face down. That's that's a position of worship, but also it embodies that readiness for obedience. Trust has an element of also willingness to move forward and obey what is commanded. So, A, what is the object of our trust? So we're commanded to trust but what does that verse say is the object of our trust? The, the very next phrase makes it very clear. In the Lord. Now at this point in the Proverbs, so we know Proverbs, it's the father emphasizing the commands of the Lord. My son, hear me. Wanting his son to hear the instruction of his father, to keep the commandments of his mother over and over again. But here where this father emphasizes keeping the commandments of God, he instructs his son not to focus his trust in the law, but in the God of the law. And there is a very significant difference there. It's yes, keep his commandments, but we are not to trust in the law itself. We are to trust in the God of the law. God is trustworthy because of who he is. Psalm 910 says, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And again, in Psalm 143, 8, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. So again, do you hear that trust element in there of I trust you, so therefore teach me. He's ready to obey. Teach me the way in which I should walk. Then again in Isaiah 26.4, trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Now ladies, we cannot trust if we do not personally know God, and if we do not personally know the truth of his character, and if we do not personally know his works throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, his faithfulness, his steadfastness, those things that are through and through our living God. If we are ignorant of who he is, then how are we going to know to obey him? So we cannot trust this personal God. So just a few things. I just went through the, um, the first part of Psalms. 
and I typed in the phrase, the Lord is. I just wanted to see clear statements of the Lord is, and then what did it say? So I wanted to keep going, but it got a little long. So I cut it off just a little bit. But I just want you to just hear, here's the character of our great God, just plain statements that the Lord is making. The Lord is king forever and ever. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We've even been working through, that's just a snippet, y'all, of, of one phrase that I used. But we've been working through the Old Testament in LBI, and it is just so beautiful that over and over and over again, through Genesis, through Judges, the faithfulness of God working with a people who are constantly going astray. Judges, and then prophets, and then the captivity. And after 70 years of captivity, God brings them and restores them to their land and finally breaks them of their idolatry. And yet he still has to deal with his people, does he not? Saying, you obey me with your lips, but not with your heart. And ladies, over and over again, what an encouragement to us. Did he once forsake his people? Even if their circumstances around them were just sad and he had to bring judgment and discipline on his people. Did he ever forsake his people? No, not one time. Over and over and over again, the faithfulness of God and his character and how he is their rock, how he is their refuge, is brightly shown throughout that Old Testament. And that's an assurance to us of sometimes we say, oh, how could he still be faithful to me when I have been so unfaithful to him. I go astray, I go astray, I go astray. And yet he lovingly disciplines and brings us back and lovingly disciplines and brings us back. And yet the faithfulness of our God to show us who he is through his word, but also to keep us close to himself. So this is the God that we can place our trust in. But B, the verse also shows the extent of our trust. What is to be the extent of our trust? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that word heart there commonly refers to the mind as the center of thinking and reason, but also includes the emotions, the will, and thus the whole of the entire being. The heart is the depository of all wisdom and the source of whatever affects our speech, our sight, and our conduct, says John MacArthur. So we are trusting God with the entirety of our inner man, the entirety of our being, but that trust will bleed out into the external. So as we fix our attitude towards our Savior, that will bleed out into, and I've said it before, I love Bruce Ware's, first you have to have the knowledge, so it's got to be in your head. Then it seeps down into the heart where it warms by our affections because we love the truth and we love the God of that truth. Then it flows out into our hands and into our habitat. 
because it doesn't just stay here and us mentally affirm that it's true or even love the truth, but it's got to be applied to our everyday lives and flow out to those around us. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So ladies, what does it look like to trust the Lord with all your heart? Psalm 28.7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. So here you have the psalmist. He knows the Lord is his strength and his shield. His heart is trusting in him and he is helped. Therefore, his heart exalts. It is lifted up in praise and then it flows out in through his mouth. His song, he shall thank him. So as we're going throughout our daily lives, is our heart exalted in our God? That is our shield. Are we allowing that gratefulness and that thankfulness just stay here? Are we letting it come out either through song, through praise, through sharing with somebody? Look at the blessings where God has taught me this truth in his scripture or has blessed me with this or has helped me in this particular way to obey his word and follow after him. Are we letting it come out our mouths? Now, Martha Pease had a a quote that I thought was very helpful in our chapter. She said, often you'll hear people say, oh, she has head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. And she, Martha says, I assume they mean she has some knowledge about the scriptures, but does not apply it to her life or have affections for the Lord. Some people, so this is a woman who... She's the duty. She's the rule keeper. She's the, I know what the Lord says and I do it, but she's not letting it seep into her heart to allow her affections to be warm to her Savior. She's not dwelling on those things, maybe. But you always have those pendulum swings. Of Some of us will naturally go towards that. We will naturally, in our own flesh, want to be that rule keeper, want to be like, look at me, got my... All my check marks are there. I'm doing good. And so you think you're doing good because you have successively risen to your standard of what you think you should be doing. So when you have your check marks all done, you feel really good about yourself and your relationship with the Lord. But if you don't, then you're down. Then you're miserable. Not because your life is displeasing to the Lord, but because you don't have your check marks done. Very subtle, ladies, but very easy to fall into. We're not in a performance-based religion. We don't win favor with God just because we have all our check marks. We already have his favor through what Christ has done for us on the cross So in loving response to the work that Christ has done on the cross, we delight to do our check marks. That doesn't mean throw the check marks away. Don't pendulum swing the other side and be like, all check marks are evil and I should never plan my day around having check marks done. Ladies, if we don't have a plan, we're going to get nowhere, right? So there is prudence. There is wisdom. How am I using my time? So we just don't respond to life as it comes at us. No. But we live life with open hands, allowing God to change our days, but delighting in him, delighting in his word, delighting in spending time with him, delighting in prayer with him, delighting to do his will as he's laid it out in his word. So no check marks. But sometimes people are like, bah, I grew up in a church that was all checkmarky. That's all they did. You had to have your skirt to a certain length and your blouse not too low. And, you know, if you looked a certain way and you didn't drink and smoke and chew and didn't go with those who do, then you were good. So it had our check marks. So you want to run the other way. And what's that? Throw the check marks all away. We don't need any rules. We live in, a, in freedom and grace. Well, yeah, we do. 
but we're free to obey. We are now not captive to sin. We are free to obey Christ and delight in that obedience. So don't swing it the other way. A lot of times people want only a heart knowledge of, I just need to love Christ. And I just need to kind of, you know, marinate there. And yes, 100%, you do need to love Christ. Don't hear me not say that. But again, if you don't know the Christ of the word, then what Christ are you loving? You have to be very, very careful. He has laid that out for us. We don't get to make up a Jesus that's comfy wumpy in our world. We need to worship the God of scriptures and Christ as he is revealed in scriptures, as he has proclaimed himself to be. And ladies, you might be like, wow, Rachel, you're really parking on this a lot. But our world around us, ladies, are proclaiming a Christ that is different than what scripture lays out. The world around us is proclaiming God the Father, not as he reveals himself in scripture. And the world around us most definitely is proclaiming the person of the Holy Spirit in a much vastly different way than what scripture lays him out to be. His work, his acts, both in the church and in the church today. Um, I will highly recommend, I actually at the end was, I'm just going to jump to it now. Um, You get the end in the middle. But Ron and I watched an excellent, excellent movie documentary type thing. It's called Cessationist. It's your homework this week. Go home and watch it. It is wonderful. It is on Amazon, as my friend Mel just said. But um, Cessationist is the name. It's C-E-S-S. That's about all you're going to get from me. But (laughs) sound out the rest of it. But... um, So we're not talking senses, your senses, but sensationist as in we do not believe the miraculous gifts are for today. They have ceased. So cessationist, those have ceased. We do believe in a God of miracles, and he can do any miracle at any time that he would please. But we do not believe in the the miraculous gifts. But they do such a good job. And one of the main um, presenters on there is our good friend from Countryside Bible Church, Tom Pennington. So just thoroughly scripture, scriptural, biblical, um, and just helps you to see this is what's being proclaimed by those who say, look at the, the works of the Holy Spirit, and yet here's what scripture says. So here's where we need to be. So I would highly recommend that to you. Okay, so back to my notes. Um, now, sometimes, so back to what Martha said. So others seek to gain a heart knowledge solely through emotional experiences while knowing nothing about the Bible. I, I would love to add to that. Some people really do know their scriptures, but the heart experiences are more valuable to those people than even the word. So they start edging those experiences that they have had, and that becomes law to them instead of, okay, I view my life, view my thoughts, view what I'm thinking, what I'm believing through the lens of Scripture. So my experiences tuck under Scripture and what Scripture says, not superseding, well, This is what happened. You can't argue against that. So we'll talk about that in detail in a little bit, how that fleshes out sometimes even in the Christian church. But they will want to grasp onto those experiences and say, look, that's that's the work of the Holy Spirit when Scripture has not laid out that that is the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll illustrate it in a minute. But for right now... Martha Peace says, the solution, however, is to study the doctrine and to apply what you have learned. This will allow one's heart knowledge to flow out of one's head knowledge. No one can become more personally pure without first studying scriptures. So, and I would heartily amen that. I am not advocating, you know, it's cold hard fact, 
This is what you believe. Okay, now go do it. Or if you're sinning, just stop it. Stop it. Go. No. No. We think our inner being, our mind, our will, our emotions all need to come under the authority of the word of God. And sometimes, ladies, that's a fight, isn't it? Our natural person just inside of us. And we're like, but that's just how I feel. And we have to say, that is how I feel, but I need to obey. Whether my circumstances around me are helping me obey or not, or if they're a challenge, I need to bow the knee to the God of the word that I love. So that is where we're headed towards. So that, that trust, a steady assurance that the Lord is good and he is for our good. Sometimes that can just look like a childlike devotion to our heavenly father. That can look like a submission of our will to his will. That can look like a willingness to do the hard work of reading his word, studying the truth that he reveals about himself, the world around us, and ourselves. Maybe it's to consider the ability to study his word and doctrine as a privilege and not a drudgery. We get to study the word, not we have to study the word. So we might not necessarily be giddy every second of our study, but there's an underlying joy of this is my God's word, and I get to read it. I get to study it. This is a privilege. I do think in American society, we have lost the privilege of even education, learning, being able to read These are things we truly do take for granted. But if you study throughout church history, there were people that just longed to learn to read. And yet, every single one of us in here knows how to read and can read and have a copy of God's scripture for themselves. There were times in church history where just one page out of the word was the most precious thing you could own. And it would be so, so precious to you and your life would be in danger for owning it. And yet, I have a really, really nice Bible that costs a lot of money. And I have the privilege of reading it. And yet, how often do we stop to acknowledge And be thankful for those things. So as we're moving forward, just recalling those things to mind to make it a priority. Because a lot of times when we appreciate something, we're apt to make it more of a priority in our day. So when we're bringing it to mind, Lord, I want to trust you with all my heart. So to trust you, I need to know you, to know you, I need to read your word. So therefore, I am going to carve out time, even if the children are running amok, even if the phone reasons, I'm just going to put it on silent in the other room, whatever I have to do so that I can stop and hone in on your word and get it to the point of applying it to my life. Because, ladies, isn't it so easy to go ahead and read the word? I have this. I'm following this plan. I've done my reading. But are we reading it to read or are we reading it to obey? Because there's a different heart attitude as you're going through that scripture. Are you searching for knowing God and his character better? Like actively engaged, looking for it. What is God revealing about himself in this passage? And then eagerly looking for it as a precious jewel. And then also eagerly looking for how does God want me to obey? Now we have historical narratives. Sometimes there isn't. But we're constantly eagerly looking for those things as we search his scriptures. And then That trust oftentimes is just that willingness to obey even when the circumstances around us are difficult. So we have that command to trust, 
But number two on your outlines, we have a contrast here. We have the opposite of trust. Proverbs is so, so good to give us comparing contrasts. So what is the opposite of trusting in the Lord with all our heart? Instead of a heart that trusts in the Lord, we have A, self-reliance. Self-reliance. We see that phrase there, and do not lean on your own understanding. That word lean there means to rely on or to trust. So it gives the mental picture of resting one's full weight on something, so to speak, to support oneself. Almost think of like a crutch. You have a broken leg. You need to lean on something. You're leaning your full weight on that crutch to support you. So, or y'all are seated in seats. Did anybody check the seat before you sat down? Or did, did you pretty much plop down knowing from experience, hopefully over and over again, you've sat in these seats, they are stable and sure. So, but when we lean on our own understanding, are we leaning on something that is sure? Maybe not so much. One of the commentators that I've read said, don't trust yourself. Your unrenewed fleshly thinking is still just that, fleshly. And it does not seek to please God, but it seeks to satisfy self. So in discerning whether you are in God's will or not, be careful invoking your own understanding in the matter. What seems reasonable and logical through temporal human eyes may be absolutely foolish when viewed through eternal eyes. So often, ladies, we are viewing life and it's just so easy to slip back into our natural form of fleshly thinking. We do not guard our hearts with all diligence so that trust in the Lord slips away and we start leaning on ourselves and our own way of thinking. So we have to make a choice, says another commentator. We can follow our own understanding or trust in a God who is greater than our own understanding. What we have to recognize is that our understanding is not trustworthy. Human understanding is darkened by our nature of sin, spiritual blindness, and hard hearts. Human understanding is limited. God's understanding is far higher. Human understanding is often contrary to God's wisdom. Common sense is good, but God's ways do not always parallel the common sense of human beings. Take, for instance... If you were to tell the world around you how much you give at church, what would they say? Would they be like, are you nuts? You could invest that money here, 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 and here. In their minds, that makes no sense whatsoever. You're entrusting it to a church? What are you doing? It doesn't make common sense to them. Why would you give it to a church when you could use it for yourself and your own benefit and take care of yourself? Or two, um, another um, of the commentators said, the reason why those who are wedded to their pleasures count religion to be dull and painful seems to be this. They see religious people really renouncing the pleasures of sin and sense. They know. They feel what that renunciation would be to themselves. But they do not know. They cannot conceive the consolation which the peace of God gives even now to a human heart. They see what a religious man lets go. But they do not see in that other region, the worth of the equivalent of what a religious man gets. For it is spiritually discerned, and they are not spiritual in their conception. To them, 
excuse me, in their conception, religion is a grim tyrant who snatches every delight from the grasp of a youth and gives him nothing in return. Do you see what he's saying? They can see what you're giving up, but they don't have the ability to see the great things you are getting in return, that peace with God, salvation from your sin, being able to be obedient to God. They can't conceive it. They're not able to. So to them, it's, you're giving all that up for what? Why? You're giving up all these pleasures for what? Why? You're not indulging yourself anymore so that you can go read the Bible? Why? Because they can't see. And I say that with heart of compassion. They do not know the eternal worth of what we are gaining for the little bitty nothingness that we are giving up. So as we're sinking through the, thinking through these things, thinking of leaning on that own understanding, that's the kind of fleshly thinking that I want us to identify in our own hearts. Am I leaning to my own understanding? Because there is a little bit of pleasure there, being in the know, being able to know what's going on, to know what really is going on here, to be the wise one. There's a little bit of pleasure there, right? The common sense one. Like, people come to me for advice because, I mean, I know. Instead of, no, I trust in the Lord with all my heart, and he knows. So therefore, we will search his scriptures to be able to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ in the word. So no self-reliance. Now, let's look at that verse again. Do not lean. What is be the source of that self-reliance? What's the source of the self-reliance? The verse tells us right there, on your own understanding. So your own understanding is the source. John Owen said, whenever in our trials we consult our own understandings, or hearken to self-reasonings, though they seem good to be good, and tending to our preservation, yet the principle of living by faith is stifled, and we shall in issue be cast down by our own counsels. If you drop your eyes down on Proverbs 3, look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, ladies, as we think through that self-reliance, that leaning on our own understanding, what can that look like when it comes to thinking through doctrine, thinking through God's guidance, what scripture tells us? Martha Peace had listed some ways that people tend to lean on their own understanding when it comes to our everyday lives and wanting to know how to make different decisions and how God guides them and what would be pleasing to him. So she separated it for us. She had, you'll remember in our chapter, she had things we know for sure and listed them out. And she had things we don't know for sure. So I actually want to add a few more on to the things we don't know for sure. Because I think it's helpful as we go along, like she had, you know, I have a clear conscience or three or more of us, you know, are in agreement. So therefore, it's got to be God's will or different things of that nature of you can't know those things for sure. So I had a couple other phrases that I personally hear a lot. Um, actually, a couple of her, hers, I was like, huh, I don't think I've ever really heard that one, like the whole um, three or more in agreement, so therefore I can do this. I was like, I, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone use that one. But I have heard, and she mentioned open doors, but this one's such a big one that I hear often, even in very conservative Bible-believing circles, I have an open door, so it must be the will of God. So um, I, in preparation for this morning, I read a little book by Jay Adams called The Christian's Guide to Guidance. Um, so I do want to give credit to a lot of my thought patterns here, and I am going to quote him a bit here. Um, so I want to give credit to cr where credit is due. I will say there were a couple times um, 
I maybe didn't agree with the extent he went or with certain ways that he expressed himself, but I still thought the little book was very, very helpful in getting back to a biblical thought pattern when, it, when we're thinking about guidance. So because the, the world is getting more and more off track, even within the church at large, of how do we follow the Lord's guidance. So in thinking, I have an open door, so it must be the will of God. He says circumstances, which is just another way to speak of open or closed doors. Circumstances do not come with a key to interpret them. Whenever you seek to determine God's will from circumstances, you bring the key, the interpretation to them. That is dangerous. There is no infallible, inerrant human interpretation of circumstances. Now, while God is sovereign and he is providentially moving throughout our lives, circumstances are factors in our decision-making because the Bible does apply to our circumstances. But circumstances are not the source of our guidance. So split the difference there. It's not because A, B, C happened and I've got this open door, so therefore it must be true that this is the will of God. It's, okay, what does God's word say about my circumstances? So do you see the shift? I'm not viewing scripture and proving my circumstances. It says this, so therefore it must be true. I'm saying, okay, my circumstances are this, and I'm allowing God's word to inform my circumstances. So uh, one illustration Jay Adam gave was the Israelites in Joshua 9. So the Gibeonites come, they disguise themselves, and want to make a treaty with the Israelites. The Israelites do not seek the Lord on this decision, and so they look at the circumstances around them. Well, I mean, they have crumbly bread and their shoes and their clothes are falling apart. They must be from a faraway land. So we'll be okay to go ahead and make that treaty with them. And yet, Jay Adams says, since they, the Israelites, reasoned from an incomplete and faulty view of the circumstances, they sinned. So they did not seek the Lord or follow his word and his command, which was already clear. He had already told them, do not make treaties with the people of the land. So there was already a clear command that they were not going back to and viewing their circumstances through that. So we as well need to look for those clear commands and principles of scripture to inform our circumstances. Another one that I hear here and there, God gave me a sign, so therefore, it must be his will. I mean, God did this and this, so therefore, there you go. There's my sign, must be his will. So sometimes it can sound a little bit like this. Last night, I had a dream, such a vivid dream, and it was about a wedding in India. It was beautiful, the colors so gorgeous. The flowers, amazing. And I woke up and then I went and I got my cereal box. And guess what? That cereal box, orange, white, green, just like the flag of India. Then I opened up my email and there's an update from our church, our church's missionaries from India. Can't believe it. All right, then you're just, you're just not even going to believe this. Opened up my Facebook, you know, just to scroll, see what's going on. Guess what was on it. You're never going to guess. Taj Mahal as a vacation spot for us. Finally, I just, I hear you, God. I hear you. I'm picking up all your signals. I got you. We are supposed to be missionaries to India for sure. Now, ladies, we chuckle, but I've heard it done haven't you, of, okay, God, I got you. I'm picking up all these little cosmic breadcrumbs you're sprinkling. I'm putting it all together. I've got it. I got, I'm picking up what you're laying down. 
So we sit here and we think we know the mind of God through a string of circumstances or signs, as we call them. Now remember, in, in the word of God, signs were attesting miracles to the word of God. We have a closed canon. We don't need them anymore. But we say, oh, I just need to be in tune with the Lord. And I will be able to gather that information and know the mind of God. Be oh so very careful of that kind of thought pattern, of that kind of speech. It does go on very frequently. Um, no, I've not heard this particular one in our church, but I sure have in other churches in this area and have known people who think this way. And, and these are not evil people. These are sincere, sweet people, but I do think they're sincerely wrong because they are dependent on these signs as the stamp of God's approval, not God's word and obedience to his word as their assurance. So this thought process of, oh, oh, I'm picking up all these cosmic breadcrumbs and smushing it together and I'm in tune, so therefore I know what God wants. That, ladies, is actually a very pagan thought process when it comes to seeking the Lord in his ways. He does not give signs that we just need to be spiritual enough to piece it together and then know the mind of God. We need to very seriously consider what Christ himself said in both Matthew 12 and 16. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. So we should not seek for a sign. Something else. This one I hear a little more. I just need to be still and calm and empty my mind and listen for God's still, small voice when I'm in prayer. That's one I hear a little more. So, Jay Adams says, where in scripture does the Bible speak of prayer as conversational, reciprocal, back and forth? Prayer in scripture is always represented as a man addressing God. Never are we told to listen for an answer in prayer. He's meeting like audibly in the spirit. To discover the Lord's will, you should pray for help to understand and use the Bible in a proper way. Absolutely. It should be prayer for the ability and strength to do whatever you discover God wants of you as you study the scriptures. We have been given an inerrant and infallible book which contains all we need by way of precept and example for living a life pleasing to God. So therefore, we do not need to listen for a still small voice because that is not how God has proclaimed to communicate with us. Over and over and over again, it's in his word. I hope you're starting to see a theme here of it's his word that he reveals himself that we need to obey, that we search out. And that's why I'm so grateful for it. Some of these other things, I'm jumping ahead, but hey, it's free. Some of these, it's all subjective. It's what I think about what's going on. And yet God is so gracious to us because I know my thoughts sometimes are, don't even need to be ever, ever repeated because they're so bleh. And I'm up and down and up and down and, and my feelings, my emotions, it's, it's a, oh, you have to get a hold of those. Sometimes the thoughts run around in your head and it's like a washing machine cycle on spin because it's going so fast you can't even barely see what the thought is. And yet you have to keep those centered onto the word of God. What a blessing. We don't have to guess. Have you ever read the worshipers of Baal or all the other ones in the Old Testament? They had to kind of guess at what appeased the gods. And yet we don't. Because we worship the true God and he has laid out for us what pleases him in black and white, in writing, so that we can know. 
Okay, another one that I hear a lot. I sensed the Lord telling me or I sensed the Lord directing me. Okay. So I have an illustrative story of this. Jay Adams had it in his book. Um, so this is an, an authoress. Um, her name's Jill Briscoe. She said in her book, There's a Snake in My Garden. She wrote, I perused the Gospel of John. Approaching the end of the book, I didn't feel I had any received any directive. I pleaded, Lord, help me go on reading until I sense your direction. Jay Adam asked, how, I ask you, does one sense anything? Through sensations received by his senses, of course. But what sensory messages would she get by reading the Gospel of John? Would they be vibrations? Would she get certain feelings? Hmm, if so, what would cause them? Feelings are not messages. They are our perceptions of our bodily states. Is that how one is to use the Bible? Is he or she to read along in some Bible book until certain bodily states change in a way that may be sensed? I don't read anything about that in scriptures. They are to be read for truth. Do you see what he's saying there? She, she uh, is pleading to sense God's direction. She's not pleading with God to obey his word. She's pleading with him for a sense. She goes on later and comments, I asked the Holy Spirit to tell me when one of the children, her own children, needed prayer. Perhaps a vulnerable moment at school, a moral danger, a physical need. Over and over again, an inner bug would tell me to pray, and then peace came. So Jay Adam asks, what did this inner bug do? Did it tickle as it crawled over her insides? Did it bite? What in the world is she talking about but some feeling that she has convinced herself was the guidance of the Lord to pray? Again, there is no biblical reason to suspect any such thing will happen. When people convince themselves that this is the way the Lord leads, they will frequently interpret some feeling that they perceive in their bodies, or they themselves produce, as that leading. Now he says, it is fine to pray for one's children, and there is probably no wrong time to do so. But it is not right to attribute some inner tickle or bite as God's guidance. Do you see what he's saying there? We have to be oh so very careful to call something God's guidance when it might not be. So remember, we're in the realm of things we're just not sure of. And we have to be careful in the way that we talk about these things. Jay Adams in no way, shape, or form is telling us not to pray for our children. Absolutely. He even flat said, you, you can pray for them at any time. And actually, we do have a clear command of scripture. Pray without ceasing. Very good. So that is what we base our desire to pray for our children on, the clear command of Scripture, not some internal feeling because our feelings can be wrong. We already read our heart is fleshly. It can be deceitful. So we don't go by feelings. We go by the word of God. And as you were listening to that example, who determines what the Lord means when she is sensing something? She does. It sounds spiritual, but is not based on the unchanging word of God. J. Adams says, once you open the route of special private revelation, all sorts of chaotic and confusing claims come traveling along with it. Absolutely, pray for your children throughout your day. But there is no way to know for sure that it was God telling you to, or if it was just simply a feeling that came and passed. So, like I said, we're clearly commanded in Scripture to pray without ceasing. So, anytime we pray, it is a good and obedient thing. So, we praise God for that. One more example that he has in his book. 
So he is laying out how a woman describes, now this is in a, in a book called How to Worship Christ. He's writing about a woman's prayer life. And the, the author asked the woman, I asked her, what time do you rise to seek the Lord? She replied, oh, that's not my decision. I made a choice long ago that when he wanted to have fellowship with me, I was available. There are times when he calls me at five. There are times when he calls me at six. And on occasion, he will call about two o'clock in the morning, I think, just to test me. Always she would get up and go to her piano stool and worship her Lord. The author asked, how long do you stay? She responded, oh, that is up to him. When he tells me to go back to bed, I go back. If he doesn't want me to sleep, I simply stay up. Now, Jay Adams said, that does seem to be sweet fellowship. But where does the Bible indicate that any, any such detailed night-by-night -night directions will be given to God's children? What this woman says is not biblically understandable. In this example, again, who is making the determining factor of when the Lord is saying when to get up and when to go back to bed? She's using her own understanding to decipher what to do. Now, is it a good thing to use your time to pray? Absolutely, yes. Do I think she's sincere in what she's saying? I do. I think she wants to spend time with the Lord. But we need to be very, very careful to, as we're speaking and as we're thinking about things, to think and say things in a way that is in accordance to Scripture. You know, I have many friends who have told me they're up at 2 a.m. and they use their time to pray. I think that's a beautiful thing. There have been a couple times in my life, I, I do kind of sleep hard, so I don't wake up a ton that time might be coming for me. I have heard the more years and crinkles you add to yourself, the more that happens. So it is absolutely beautiful to spend that quiet time in the middle of the night to commune with your Lord. That is not what Jay Adams is saying. He's saying be careful saying that you know for sure that that is God telling you to get up and to pray and to spend time with him. And he's going to tell you when to go home or when to go home, when to go back to bed. So I would say that this is just a very poor way to express it. It's not biblical since God's direct revelation is completed in his word. Jay Adams says direct revelation of the various sorts that I have just described is nowhere in the Bible said to be available to us. Never are we exhorted to seek it. There is no reason to believe that it really comes from God. It's also very convenient, the God told me, if one wants to strongly back up his own wishes. So we have to be very, very careful. We can give praise to God that we were able to get up at five or six in order to pray and spend time with him. That would be a better way to express that. Be very careful of saying God told you to do something unless you're quoting a command of scripture. Then go right ahead. We are commanded to pray, but there is no scripture commanding prayer specifically at 2 a.m. And if a sister gets up at 2 a.m. and prays, or I get up at 7 a.m. and pray, is one of us more the spiritual than the other? No, we're both being obedient to the word of God by focusing on prayer. Now, I do want a word of caution. We need to be gracious. If someone comes in and they use this type of language, I'm not saying they're not believers or ungodly. I am saying let's be careful for ourselves in these terms, but let's also not go around playing theological whack-a-mole and crush people if they don't use the exact right wording either. So there's a balance there of graciousness and patience and allowing growth and understanding. And then also striving to grow and understand more ourselves. So, but um, 
ourselves, we ourselves speaking in the terms of God told me or I sense God saying to me is not a biblically informed way of speaking. God solely speaks through his word, which is able to equip us for every good work. So ladies, how do we not lean on our own understanding? Number three, we have the practice of trust. The practice of trust. It is not enough to simply say that we trust the Lord with all our heart. It needs to bleed out into our everyday actions. So look down at verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So A on your outline, the extent of our practice. The extent of our practice. The word says there, in all your ways. This speaks of a total commitment on our part. Do we, throughout our day, in all our ways, acknowledge him? This is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, hour-by-hour commitment. God is to have sovereign control over a believer's life. That means major decisions, but that also means the little mundane ones, too. You know, you think through scripture, whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I don't think you can get more mundane than our need to eat and drink throughout the day. So even in those little things, we are seeking to bring glory to our Lord. B, the knowledge needed for practice. The knowledge needed for practice. Scripture says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge there means to know. It includes a mental awareness of who God is and the consequential submission to his lordship. To know him is to obey him. The sage here in the Proverbs is calling for a life of trust trust and obedience in which the disciple sees the Lord in every event and relies on him. To acknowledge the Lord in every event means trusting and obeying him for guidance in right conduct. So this means you need to know his word and right doctrine so that you can have right thoughts about our Lord and have right thoughts about his character and who he truly is. And ladies, we cannot solely rely on what somebody else tells you about the Lord. You can't simply read books about him. Martha Peace is wonderful, but she cannot replace your time in the word itself. Now, she thoroughly uses scripture in her book. That's why we love it so much. But you personally need to know the God of scripture The word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Are we maybe avoiding the word because we don't want it to show us what's in our hearts? Or do we trust that God is good and for our good? So, we, we have these things. And number four, now we need to look at the benefit of the practice of trust. So we need to practice this trust, but there's benefits to this practice. Look back down at verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So A, we see the provider of the path. The provider of the path. I love that it says, and he will make, not you need to make your path straight. It's he will make your path straight. We're not the ones making the path. The Lord is the one going before us. Now, in Old Testament times, a commentator said, roads were rough at best and dangerous at worst. Travel was exhausting and perilous. So often um, when a king would take a journey, some of his servants go ahead of his caravan to smooth the rough places and remove all the obstacles in the road. They would make his paths straight. This is what God does for the people who trust in him, who lean wholly upon him. He will go ahead of us and smooth the road. He will remove all the obstacles in our way so we reach the destination he intends for us. This does not mean, however, that there will be no difficulties, interruptions, or deterrence along the way. 
It means that God will be with us and help us rise above everything in our path that threatens to trip us up or throw us off course. We, in turn, have to put ourselves in his hands. We have to trust and lean on him wholly. So B, A was the provider of the path. B, the benefactor of the provider. The benefactor of the provider. The word in verse 6 says, he makes, he will make your paths straight. So that word paths there refers to a person's course of life, his actions, his undertakings. So Oswald Chambers said, we have no right to judge where we should be put or to have preconceived notions as to what God is fitting us for. God engineers everything. Wherever he puts us, our one great aim is to pour out a wholehearted devotion to him in that particular work. So ladies, a good question to ask ourselves when we're thinking about guidance, and particularly God's guidance of us, is why am I seeking this guidance from the Lord? Is it because I truly want to obey him and follow the path he is making for me? Or is it because I want control? I'd like to know what he has planned, and then I'll choose whether or not I want to follow that path or not. Ladies, oftentimes in the counseling room, the, the fear that I come up against the most is the fear of the unknown. They don't know what's coming around the corner. They don't know what their path holds. And that is terrifying because they do not put their trust in the Lord and trust that he will make their path straight, that he will do the work and he will sustain them to the end of the road. So ladies, sometimes fear is the motivator of why we want to know what's going on. We desperately grasp at things saying, oh, this is what God's doing. Oh, that's what's God. Oh, I got it figured out. Because we want to know what's going on. Because we do not trust. We fear what is coming down the road. Ladies, that is idolatrous because we want to be in control and not allow God to be in control. So as we think through our attitudes towards our Lord, as we think through his guidance, let us be women who trust the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understandings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is more sure than even our own experiences. I pray, Lord, that we would not lean to our own understanding, but that we would acknowledge you in all our ways, that we would shape and mold our days to reflect you and your character, that we would be holy as you are holy. It's in Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.